0: On today's episode, I'll be talking about a timely topic, which is the month of October. Most of us really like the month of October. I know I certainly do, but typically when we think about it, it's more towards the end of October when that pre-rut really starts to kick up. And there's always conversation about the quote-unquote October law in the early part of the month of October, whether or not it's fake, whether or not it's real, and whether it is or isn't real, how do you tackle it and how do you hunt it? I tend to think that it's more a matter of just how you define things. Like, There very well could be an October lull, and there very well could not be, just depending on what your definitions are. I think if you define it as less daylight movement, then that certainly seems to be a real thing. If you define it as can you or can you not fill a tag during the early part of October, I think then you could definitely say the October lull is maybe overblown. Uh, Just in the last, I'd say, week or so, we got uh, several examples of guys who were able to punch their tags in really nice bucks. Uh, Jake Bush, the guy who had on the podcast last episode shot a giant in the opening day of his Ohio season. Beaumartonic just got a deer down. Andy May shot one. Uh, most of us probably saw Dan Infald's buck that he shot. I think that one may have actually been late September, but you know, similar type of, of thing here hunting in Wisconsin. His season, you know, came in a little bit earlier. So, you can absolutely get it done. But the thing to keep in mind with all of those guys who just punched tags is they all had a really solid plan going into it. And I was even talking with my wife, Sam, about, it. she's like, how did all these people like get, it, you know, their tag filled on the very first day of their season? I was like, well, they've done the work and they know number one, what bucks might be in an area. Number two, they've done the postseason scout scouting to kind of know how the land lays. And number three, they kind of know what the food sources are active right now. And so putting all those things together with a good run direction and they're able to slip in and make these really, you know, close to betting area situations play out. And that can be a really effective way, I think, to tackle early October when you're not really seeing much else. So I'm gonna dive into a couple of different data sets that I have that kind of look at the month of October in general and some of the switches that happen between the earlier and the later part of the month to see if it might be better in your scenario to hunt really hard the early part of the month, or maybe hang back a little bit, do some more peripheral scouting, and then wait to do the bulk of your hunting and all your PTO and stuff at the later part of the month and into early November. So before we go ahead and jump into that data and that discussion, just wanted to give you guys a quick update about Spartan Forge again. So the beta version is now currently live. It has been for the last, you know, a couple of days. It went live, I believe Friday last week if my memory serves me correctly. And they got a bunch of downloads. They had a certain number of people that they wanted to to hit for that beta program to really be representative and help vet out potential issues before they flip to production. They hit that in like a day. So then on Sunday about midnight, they pulled the app off the app store and all the people that have had downloaded before that time are, are using it right now and uh, giving feedback to the development team. And if all goes according to plan, it should be Back online in like the production version to continue downloading it in perhaps a week or so. If you happen to be listening to this episode a few days after it initially launches, there's a good chance it might already be back up on the App Store. Really, the whole goal behind the beta testing, as with any app that does a beta release, is to try and vet the system, fix bugs on a smaller scale before you get a whole, you know, much larger influx of people downloading and using the app uh, becomes much more manageable on a, a shorter Uh, small scale like that. I know I've gotten some good questions and a lot of good feedback about people who have downloaded the app so far and what their thoughts were. And I'm continuing to look forward to how this thing continues to evolve. Lots of things change between the beginning of October and the end of the month. Those things being weather, food sources, hunting pressure, and hormones. So the beginning of the month and the end of the month are totally separate things and they require totally different hunting strategies. And really the question is, you know, what what's the better place to try and spend your time if you only have a certain amount of time to allocate toward really, you know, diving in and putting in a full effort. Certainly if you can hunt throughout the entire month, that's best case scenario. And you would just stay on top of it and monitor your hunting strategy and plans as the month kind of goes on and, and try and update in real time. Right now, when I look at, say, the the predictions for like the next couple of weeks, I guess the next we'll look at the next week and pretty much all the places that I hunt here in the upper Midwest across that next week or so it's predicted to be core area movement, which again totally aligns with kind of what I typically am seeing right now. Uh, Not seeing a whole lot of daylight activity. The cameras that I have out, the ones that I have near or in bedding areas are getting daylight photos, but not a lot of the ones that are outside of bedding areas. Uh, I can think of, one in particular where almost every single morning and every single evening I'm getting pictures of, you know, does in and around this bedding area that I put a camera like right on a, a big primary scrape just outside of that doe bedding. And the does are using it pretty frequently, but it's again, right. Kind of in the context of that bedding area. And when bucks do randomly show up, which is not very frequent right now at this point, it's usually nocturnal when we have gone out hunting. I haven't hunted much for myself the last couple of weeks, but I have been filming Sam and pretty much every time we've gone out, we've seen deer, but we are setting up in like right on or in whatever bedding areas we can. We're trying to get, you know, right tight, as close as possible to try and get some movement. Now this is the same type of weather where like last year we were able to get on a couple of, uh, smaller bucks to almost get Sam to, to fill her tag. Uh, one, we had a, a buck get up 40 yards away from our tree Uh, and just didn't come quite close enough for a shot, scenarios like that uh, tend to play out. The other thing I notice about a lot of the places here in the upper Midwest is you still have standing corn up at this time. And I think especially in areas where you have a lot of hunting pressure, there's some of those deer, I think that just spend a whole lot of their time within the context of that grown cornfield. And then once that gets picked, then they'll obviously have to go back into the woods. But at least for the time being, that gives them an area where they're not really being harassed as much by hunters whether or not they want to be there otherwise, I guess I don't know the answer to that question. I would assume that they would much rather be, you know, in areas where they're able to consume the acorns that are on the ground more likely. But a lot of those types of areas are also the ones that for the people who are hunting are getting a lot of the focus. And so I definitely see that when you're hunting open acorn flats and things like that, you don't tend to get a whole lot of daylight activity, even though the sign is there. You might have fresh droppings, acorns sit in the ground. But if that area has been pressured, then you're still only really getting a lot of that activity right on the, uh, the cusps of those bedding areas. Now, last season was the first year where I took a bunch of cameras. And when I say a bunch, I'm talking like five. And I put them in areas that I know had doe bedding and areas where the pre-rut activity was definitely going to be picking up. There was a lot of historical rut sign that I would find in this area when I would scout it in the, the spring and the wintertime. And so I just kind of monitored this area with trail cameras. And what I noticed is that in early part of September, you get doe pictures, you get occasional small buck pictures, you get occasional nocturnal pictures, but then as that month would go on, you definitely see exactly the same type of bell curve that pretty much everybody talks about within the the deer hunting industry. And that's that daylight activity, especially of the older bucks, tends to get better and better as that month goes on. I'll just kind of go through some of the information that I had from these cameras. Again, they're all kind of in the same general area. They're all within the context of doe bedding. They all were on travel corridors and scrape lines, but they all had really good security cover. And in fact, there's a couple of cameras that I'm not including here that I didn't have in security cover that I either had on logging roads or other things where there was deer sign, but there's also hunters that would use those. And the number of uh, daylight mature buck sightings, I think was zero on, on those cameras, Uh, definitely had some nocturnal pictures in those types of areas, but certainly would just kind of show the obvious there that being in cover where you have the good sign is where you're going to get the daylight activity. But just kind of looking through these cameras here, but just kind of looking at these cameras here in summary, these five cameras had 45 different occurrences throughout the entire rut where what I would consider likely a two and a half year old buck walked by during daylight. And 22 occurrences that were what I would consider likely older than that two and a half uh, year old buck, so it could be three, four, or five, whatever. Um, hard to tell once they get to that size unless you have history. But 45 and 22, so roughly half as many mature buck sightings as like two and a half year old sightings, which I actually think is is pretty good now that I kind of look back at this data. But when I look at the month of October only the numbers are 24 of those daylight occurrences of two and a half year old bucks. So roughly half of what was seen during the entire rut. And then nine occurrences of those mature bucks during the, the month of October daylighting, uh, as opposed to that 22 throughout the entire rut. Uh, so still, you know, roughly half a little bit less, but pretty similar between those two different age groups of deer. Now, when I break it down camera by camera, definitely you'll, you'll see that some cameras are better than others. For instance, the first camera that I have out, camera number one, this one has throughout the month of October, nine two and a half year old bucks daylighting and four mature bucks daylighting. The next camera had five of the younger deer and zero mature buck sightings in October. The next one had six of the two and a half year old and two of the mature buck sightings. Uh, camera number four was two and one In camera number four, five was two and two. Uh, So that one during the month of October had two, two and a half year old bucks daylighting and two mature bucks daylighting. So, you know, one-to-one ratio there, which again, pretty good. When I look at that compared to the other camera, which had five younger deer and zero of the older ones, um, just kind of starting to put together the pieces to see which of these areas and what are the other factors there that would cause maybe one location to be better than another in terms of age class. Um, But back to kind of what I was trying to go over here. When you look at the the month itself of October, with the exception of that camera number one, which seemed to be pretty good throughout the entire like rut cycle from October 18th through November 14th, which is when I uh, stopped collecting data. I mean, Almost almost every day there was some type of buck daylighting at this particular location. It was a scrape right in the edge of a pond. Uh, it's logged now so right now it's just a pond. so that was kind of unfortunate but that one definitely if you look at it compared to prior to the 1018 date, there was only one two and a half year old buck sighting during daylight in that particular location and there was very few. Mature bucks that came through there during that time frame, uh, with the exception of like one or two that were at night. And then once you get into that 10:18 to 10:31 date range, this particular location, like I mentioned, it was, you know, more, much more daylight activity. You were still getting the nocturnal pictures, but it seemed like as you got closer and closer to that last week, you know, like the 10:26 to 10:31, that was where you started getting more of those mature bucks that were coming in at night to start coming in daylight. And it definitely uh, made a lot of sense that, you know, that ended up being the case here because that's typically what you hear a lot of guys saying is that they will uh, follow that kind of a pattern. Now, what was also interesting here is that and I've mentioned this on podcast before, none of these deer did the same thing twice in this area. For instance, if you had a mature buck daylighting on one day, Not only would he not daylight the next day, but he might not even show back up again for another week or another three days or another 10 days. And that was pretty much the case across the board for all these different cameras. So that was very interesting. You look at this uh, data chart or data plot that I put together. It's just a bunch of, uh, you know, almost seemingly random, random occurrences across the map uh, to where if you wanted to have the best chance of success in one of those areas, you'd be almost better off finding a tree that had just a bulletproof access and just hunting that thing, you know, a week straight, dark to dark. These pictures, these daylight pictures were all over the map. Some were first light, some were last light, some were midday, some were early afternoon, some were mid morning. It was just, even in the month of October, it was all over the map. And the, you know, individual deer that would show up were all over the map. When you look at all of the data as a whole and just kind of bucket it into those two groups, then, I mean, you're, you're looking at like that last week, October, pretty much every other day, you were going to see some type of deer coming through during daylight. And again, to put this in the context of how does that compare to the early part of the month or, you know, the quote unquote lull. Well, if you have a deer that's pinpointed, then it makes sense to go after him. But if you don't, I think it makes sense to almost hang back. Like just continue scouting, look for that one opportunity but if you're just kind of knowing that a certain area is going to heat up during the pre-rut, it almost makes more sense to not overpressure that area now because those bucks for the most part, aren't always in that area. Now they they might be taking little quick tours uh, It's kind of almost like a pre-pre-rut. I've seen that on my cameras, uh, but it's, it's very random and sporadic. It's usually at night. What I do know is that there's definitely does bedding in those areas. And so if you're continually going in and trying to hunt those areas that are going to be good in the pre-rut in early October, then you're putting additional pressure on there that the dozer are going to have. And some of those older bucks are not quite in that area yet. Anyway, at least not in the context of these uh, camera pictures that I've been looking at. The bucks themselves are in different areas currently. And also just the, the context of where the food is at. A lot of the white oak acorns are perhaps a half to one mile away from this particular location. This is Northern Wisconsin where all these cameras are located and the deer do move quite a bit. Like I mentioned earlier, when I had shot my buck that was on some of these cameras, it was three quarters of a mile away from the closest camera. So they they definitely do travel throughout this time period. Now, what I've been finding seems to not hurt quite that bad is just doing quick little, you know, speed scouts through some of these areas, just walking, checking to see if sign has started to pop up. Because number one, that's telling me kind of what's going on right now, right? If there's a, a different food source that's popped up, some oak tree that I'd ever found before, or maybe there's some secondary food source that's getting hit, then I wouldn't have known that sitting on the couch. And if my camera's on the right spot, I'm not going to pick up on that either. So the only way to learn some of that stuff is to actually be out in the woods. But on the flip side, it also doesn't seem like walking through and doing a loop or walking a stretch of land and going from point A to point B has as much of an impact scent wise as if you actually sit in a stand and your scent blows into a bedding area or something like that. Uh, definitely seems like the deer are more tolerant of that more interrupted intrusion where you're in and you're out and you learn what you learn. And that certainly might not be the case across the board. I can only speak for the areas that I hunt specifically. If you're hunting like a small 10, 20 acre piece, then that might totally be very bad advice. Uh, But a lot of the places that I have been hunting are are very, very large acreage uh, public and there's tons of cover around. So I'm pretty confident that if I really do screw things up bad, the deer are not going to get pushed onto private. They're just going to go somewhere else on public. And then once again, it's just a matter of me figuring out where they had relocated to, if that's the case. One other thing that we don't necessarily have in our favor this part of the month is that it's still pretty max cover. Not as bad as, say, mid-September for the seasons that open there, but you still got a lot of grasses and weeds that haven't really quite died off yet. The trees, for the most part, still have leaves on them. Not as thick as it was, again, during the month of September. Some of the leaves have started to drop, but still there's a lot of cover around. And so there's a lot more areas still this time of the year where deer feel comfortable moving and moving during daylight than there would be in the later part of the month once some of that grasses and leaves start dying off and maybe have had a snowfall or two and that condenses where those deer are really going to feel comfortable. And it makes it a little bit easier to monitor and be able to hunt off of that sign. I think one really viable option here is to be able to split up your workload. If you've scouted and hunt in certain areas that you know, just set up a little bit better for rot, they're really hard to try and pinpoint or figure out during the early season some of this bigger wood stuff that I've been, you know, trying to learn definitely being one of those types of properties. But then you've also scouted and hunted areas that have much more defined bedding and food, bedding and feeding patterns. Say like the, the cattail marshes or even like hill country. You know, you got hill country, whether or not it has ag let's say it does have ag but it also has acorns. It's a little bit easier still to be able to look at a map and figure out okay, I think deer are going to bed here. They should be feeding here. I bet this ridge is full of acorns right now. I can go spot check a bunch of those things during midday, or perhaps it's an area that you've scouted in the past and you know exactly where those beds are. Maybe you're going to try and come in, you know, from the bottom, uh, climb up a a steep hill and sit, you know, right over where those deer are going to get around a little steep cut to get back into their beds. I mean, there's a lot more flexibility, I think, for those types of areas where you can be able to set up and, and be able to capitalize on more of a strict bed to food type of a pattern. And you can get in and still set up really close to those particular beds. And I think it can still be a phenomenal time to be able to try and punch a tag. And so maybe you just split up your workload that way, right? Maybe you hunt those areas that are easier to hunt early in October during that time frame, and hopefully you fill a tag. But by the time it gets closer to that pre-rout and things really start kicking up, Uh, The bucks are opening up scrapes. They're starting to hit them at night quite a bit. And then they start to transition during daylight. Maybe you just, if you haven't filled your tag at that point, you move from one location to the other and you start focusing all of your efforts in that other area. One thing that I've sort of learned over the years is that it's really hard to try and hunt two areas effectively at the same time, whether or not they're multiple hours apart or whether or not they're close. Uh, But just trying to keep up on, on two different patterns at once is... A lot of times, at least for myself, it's spreading myself too thin. And I found that in order for me to be most effective, I have to really focus my efforts on just kind of one area, one pattern for a certain period of time, and then just kind of put the cap on it and then move on to something else. If I try and keep that open and try and, you know, fill three tags at once, it, it never seems to be as efficient as if I just focus all my efforts individually. And that's sort of what Sam and I have been trying to do more or less this year. Believe it or not, I have not carried my bow into the woods since Nebraska. I've either been doing one filming Sam when she goes out on a hunt, and we've seen deer just, you know, haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, and we're hoping to try and get her her first buck. Uh, But then when I have just gone out solo, again, I haven't really been bringing my bow yet because I haven't yet been able to get a good enough lock in the early season for some of these areas that I know are going to become good in the pre-rut and there's also been a lot of landscape and habitat changes, a lot of more logging that has gone on during the summer that I have to feel like I need to get back up to speed on and, and really learn if this is changing things, is it not? Making sure that I have two or three more really good pre rotten rot type stands set up and ready to go. And so I've just been doing scouting on that end, uh, even to the, the point where I have a couple of times drove out after work and just done a quick night loop to be able to check cameras and put some out in different areas just because that was the only time I had available to me. Then the weekends would be hunting with Sam. So from a certain standpoint, I'm almost putting all of my eggs into, uh, this pre-rut basket. And then during the rut, I'll probably be hunting in Pennsylvania. Maybe there'll be some additional opportunities here where we just kind of go in blind and I'll bring in my bow instead of, um, instead of Sam, or maybe she fills her tag. And then I have another a couple of hunts that I can get in before that pre-red activity really kicks up. And I'll be doing those in areas that have that more defined bed to feed movement pattern. But that just gives a little bit of insight into how I've been trying to focus this year a little bit differently than I have perhaps years in the past and spread myself too thin. Now, if they hadn't had done all that additional logging this summer, and if the habitat landscape hadn't really changed in that Wisconsin area that I like to hunt, And if I were just hunting for me, in other words, I wasn't out hunting with and and trying to film Sam, then probably what I'd be doing right now is just exactly that same thing. Really focusing on one state and one tag where I know I have better opportunities early season to try and fill that tag. And I've done the scouting to kind of know how the land lays. I know where some of the beds are. I know where white oak trees are and, and things like that. And it's just a matter of going in on a day-by-day basis, really reading that most recent information as I go in and just doing a bunch of those types of sits in the hopes that by the time mid-October rolls around, I will have punched that tag, but then make kind of a hard pivot that last week of October to probably going over and try and fill the Wisconsin tag. And, of course, if either Sam or I punch a tag before that happening, then, of course, that changes plans once again, uh, perhaps, and there's an opportunity for another out-of-state trip or something like that. We still have North Dakota and Nebraska tags that are available to be filled. Anyways, that was a little bit shorter episode this week, but wanted to share some of that interesting trail camera data that I had come up with and analyzed from last year. At least I thought it was interesting. And hopefully that gives some insight into kind of how you could structure your month of October to navigate all of the changes that happen between the beginning of the month and the end of the month and help plan your uh, season accordingly. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on social media. Instagram Messenger is probably preferable over Facebook Messenger or email. And I'll do my best to go ahead and start up a conversation and answer. I love getting those messages that come in. I love thinking about and talking about different deer hunting scenarios. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.